Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, October 4th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, we chat about the benefits of accessibility, availability, and progressive enhancement in cross-platform web projects. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. So it's raining there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's raining a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, hopefully it's not coming this way because we're having a stretch of the most amazing fall weather ever. Yeah. I'd, not to rub it in, but. <laughs> I think it's going to, I think it is going to rain there in a day or two. I remember looking at the forecast because I'm getting ready to head that way soon. Right. That's exciting. Yes, looking forward to it. And that also means that I should remind folks but that uh, we're expecting the launch of Stark Jr. 2.0 <laughs> any second. We're on high alert, so that could interfere with the schedule next week. Yes, it could. That's so do okay. not be surprised if we're radio silent and check the Twitter feed if you really care. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So uh, sounds like you have a bug report for the first time in a while. Uh, I do. It's kind of tiny and stupid, but yeah, I have one. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best kind. Can describe. Yeah, that's it. And I don't know if it's specific to jQuery or if it's just a JavaScript in general thing. I didn't have time to check to test it out, uh, but I was using jQuery, um, and I was binding to uh, binding elements to some various various click events in my application. Like I could, uh, for instance, like a, a link element. If you click on it, I do one thing and. Uh, a list item to another and that sort of thing. And I found that I could bind click events to to regular DOM elements that weren't links without problem. But I went to bind uh, to bind to um, to a link that I had accidentally forgotten to add the the href attribute to, and the click action would not fire. And it's the same. And click or mouse actions, neither one would fire. So that's super weird. You know, because there's no default action on a div. Yeah. But maybe. Yeah, I mean, what, I don't know. It, it may just be a jQuery thing. I haven't haven't checked, but. Maybe it was. Was there anything? Was it just um, bare text inside of the links, just out of curiosity, or was it uh, like an image or something? Uh and it was just text. Yeah, that's weird. I've had problems in the past where binding to like the top level of the document. Um, and listening and, and like sniffing what the target element was. If there's like mm -hmm. an image inside of the text or there's spans and stuff inside of the link, you sometimes if you're looking for an A tag, you have to like go up the DOM tree and see if there's a the clicked item was a child of inside it. of A. Yeah. Yeah. So, huh? That's really weird. Maybe the the dear listener can tweet us the answer to that. I'm sure someone. I think the answer is don't forget to put your your attributes on your link, but <laughs> yeah, but it is. Uh, it is sort of curious. You'd think that yeah. it just sort of, I mean, because it's not, I mean, you can have A tags that don't have a Right, just, they just serve as anchor tags. Right, it's not within invalid. Within internal, right. Right, and so, yeah, um, touch touch events worked. <laughs> that's, that's par for the course, I suppose. <laughs> Suppose. Been looking into pointer events lately. It's that's I'm looking forward to that being uh, a, a commonly supported across browsers because man, it's dealing with touch events is quite a business. Yeah, yeah, we got on that a bit last week, I think. But yeah, mm. 
Yeah, I've learned more since last week, actually. Uh, last week, I, I think two Fridays ago, I posted a little JavaScript snippet called Fast Active to let people add um, more... I, I, I wish I could use the word responsive, but that's sort of got double meaning, but more responsive looking elements so that you tap on something yeah. immediately highlights instead of waiting 300 milliseconds. But uh, I, I learned um, that when you do listen to touch events, you are opening up a potential performance penalty in the browser because, um, you know, when you're, you get, you imagine a regular plain old web page that mm-hmm. extends beyond the viewport. And if, if you are listening to touch events and the, uh, Anywhere in the page, and the the user's finger touches the screen and slides up. What's the browser supposed to do? And it has to figure out a lot of like normally scrolling scrolling a web page is not on the JavaScript thread. Yeah, it's highly optimized so that you can scroll really fast, but it's outside of the JavaScript thread. But if you start listening to touch events, they have to wait for the JavaScript thread. Right. To see like, well, is he gonna? Is he gonna? have a prevent default in there, in which case I, I have to abort the, the scrolling on the UI thread. So it, it, I haven't seen any uh, janky scroll behavior of listening to touch events, and I've done a ton of programming listening to touch events, but you know, maybe, you know, maybe I've just dodged it or maybe other jankiness. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I ran into some, some weird little kind of performance issues and, and glitchiness when I was, um, I was trying to trying to implement drag and drop on a touch interface, mm-hmm. which you know is hard to do because you touch and move, then like as you said, the browser is going to scroll. Mm. So yeah, was that it was the the touch interface, and it was potentially it was like an arbitrary length page, so you right. So maybe you do want to scroll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, and did you use native scrolling for the scrolling, or did you? Uh, no, I, I'm using native scrolling for the scrolling, and then for the drag and drop, I have like drag handles on my elements. So yeah, there you go. And you just attach listeners to the handles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the that's supposed to be the way to mitigate the perf- you know uh, mitigate the performance issues because if the finger comes down on something that has no touch handler, then it sort of skips that problem. But that causes a problem for me because the way that I have the library set up, it's not a library. The snippet set up, it it listens to the the body, yeah, and waits for stuff to bubble up. Um, so, uh, but it it immediately checks to see if the touched thing was an A, like an, a link tag. So if it's not, it just immediately returns, which might be why I haven't seen any issues. But uh, uh. yeah, I didn't I didn't notice any issues with it. But I, I too I noticed the same thing. It's because I, I had modified it a little bit because I needed wanted to use it for some some things in addition to to a tags mm-hmm. and you know I had some some buttons and yeah I was thinking about and stuff I, w- I was actually thinking about making that an optional thing that you could pass in like what elements do you want to list like array of selectors tags, yeah. yeah but um, I I tested things that are interactive like uh, I, I probably should have tested them on a crappier phone I tested them on my regular phone and. Uh, buttons and and input fields and selects and radio buttons and all that stuff seemed really responsive to me. Yeah. So I was like, well, it's really the it's really the links that are super lame. Um so I didn't do that, but do you think I don't know, that might be a good idea. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think mine was probably a bit of a special case. So yeah. The one the one concession I did add in there was to uh, apply touch or no touch uh, classes to the HTML, kind of like Modernizer does. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, because you just can't. There's no way around it if you want to use hover styles on your on a mouse based website, and you almost certainly do. Like, who doesn't have hover styles on a you know on a, a regular desktop site? Uh, the hover styles just can make make can sort of uh, invalidate the whole effort because yeah. if you have a different hover style, it's weird because on the desktop you basically have three common states for a link. Um, you know, just default the regular link, and then you've got hover and then active, mm-hmm. and you really don't have I mean, those exist in mobile, but they're really janky, and you really all you really care about is hover. And, I mean, uh, regular and active. And touch, yeah. And and but if the hover's in there, it fires later after everything's done. It's, so if your hover styles are different than your active styles, which they probably are on the desktop, then you get this weirdness in the touch interface because you get the you get the active and then the hover comes later or maybe not, and then you know you get the it's just crazy craziness. So anyway, so I wonder if. Uh, I wonder if that is. I wonder if that is a jQuery thing. The, the uh, missing href, borking the click handler. It's pretty weird. Yeah, I don't know. It it might be because, the, like I said, my touch bindings worked, and they were just just plain vanilla JavaScript. So it hmm. may be a jQuery. It leads me to think it may be a jQuery specific. Yeah. Problem. Huh. Interesting. Well, hopefully that'll help someone <laughs> to remember to put their to ch- at least check to make yeah. sure their hrefs are in there. So you want to move into the uh, feature for the week? Sure. Cool. So this week we want to talk about uh, accessibility, availability, and progressive enhancement, uh, in, in particular on the web. Um, so probably won't be talking too much about APIs, although that is the ultimate fallback for availability. Yes. <laughs> and accessibility. Yes. And we both got new devices this week, which I think both just kind of beg the, uh, or, or, or imply this issue, or raise this issue, I should say. Um, I got the uh, Firefox OS developer phone. Nice. Which is super cool. I'm uh, jealous. It's yeah, it's cool. You should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really wanted it, but I really didn't want to pay that much for it. Uh, yeah. Well, fortunately, I got it for free. Oh, that's even better. Yes, and it is almost exactly, almost like maybe a millimeter different in size from the iPhone 4S, uh, awesome. which is a little too small for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it, and the actual screen real estate is a smidge tinier, so the keyboard's pretty tight and everything. I wouldn't want to use it as my main phone. Um, but it's, it's a... Uh, I just love the mission of Firefox OS. It's really not fair to compare the... You know, the interface is a little slow. It doesn't do, a, you know, it doesn't do everything. It does the basic stuff, gives you access to basic things, um, and you know, if you're worried about scroll friction, then it's not the phone for you, <laughs> you know, but it's the, the goal of, of the Firefox OS project is to, um, get the next billion people online. Yeah. Which and, is awesome. Yeah. And the phone is super cheap. It's a good experience. Not great, but it's good. And, uh, it, and they've made it incredibly easy to develop for. That's good. 
and yeah, it's just what you know, just like if you can if you can build a web app, you're if you can write HTML, you can be on this phone. And the you know the the uh, install process. I've only had it for a couple of hours, but the install process for installing a, an, an app, so to speak, is like mm-hmm. so easy that I couldn't figure out how to do it because I'm used <laughs> to it being so much harder. <laughs> You just click on the thing and then save it to your home screen. It's like, <laughs> that's it. Nice, nice. There's no distinction between, or there's no distinction to the user in the interface whether or not the um, the thing that you're installing is a locally packaged thing that's going to land on the phone or if it's a web app uh, that really is hosted. Yeah, it's like, you're like, oh, this is the way it should be. <laughs> I can just, yeah. It basically all it really, the difference really is, is, like iOS or Android could be like this if you could ins- just install bookmarks to your home screen. Like if you could bookmark something directly to your home screen with uh, with a very with a simple process instead of the multi-click process that is the case on both platforms. Yeah. So very cool so far, and I and the deal is I get the phone for free, but I have to port an app over to it and put it in the uh, marketplace within 30 days. Mm-hmm. So I am going to port Avalio over to it because that's our poster child um, for for apps to run everywhere. Yeah, cross-platform app, and I'm going to do the whole. I'm going to redo the whole interface with their interface library. It's called mm-hmm. Gaia, and it's just like a, it's kind of like a jQuery mobile type of thing but um, optimized for Firefox OS. So we'll be reporting on that in the coming weeks. Nice. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, it's really cool. I like it. So I, I wish you'd told me about this. I would have ported an app in 30 days for a free phone. Uh, I didn't realize I hadn't mentioned it. I'm sorry I didn't. Um, <laughs> it's okay. But, uh, yeah, it's sweet. I don't know if I have to send it back eventually or what. But anyway, um, and you got a Kindle Paperwhite, so I'm totally yes. jealous of that. Yes, I got the the brand new Kindle Paperwhite. Awesome. And what's your experience so far? Um, so far, I like it a lot. Uh, I was wanting something with a little bit longer battery life than a tablet and a little bit fewer distractions that I could sit outside on a sunny day and read, and I, and I still imagine. be able to read in the dark. And <laughs> yeah. It seems yeah, and it's perfect for that. <laughs> wow. Have you seen the the ads for? The paperweight where they compare it side by side with an iPad. Yeah. And they have to do a subtitle that says, yes, the iPad is on. <laughs> yes, the iPad is on. Yeah, because you can just barely see anything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, but it's, no, it's, it's, um, it's great. You know, if, if all you want to do is read, I think, if, I think if that's all you want to do, then this is almost the perfect device to do it. It's very um, – I haven't I'd, – I'd never used – um, an earlier Kindle. This is the first Kindle, actual Kindle I've used. Mm-hmm. But from what I've seen of, of videos of them, mm-hmm. uh, the, this this update does seem to be a lot faster. Oh, cool! And does it do the? So I've got the ver- not the very very first Kindle, but the first one after that, mm-hmm. and uh, I really liked it. Um, but it, not but, uh, but you know, it, it is what it is. It's an e-reader. Right. Right. But this the the one I had does have you can browse the web on it. I don't mm-hmm. know if I don't know if the paperweight allows you to do that as well. Uh, I do not believe so. No. It's uh, can you do I things th- like like does it have Whisper Sync and 
Yeah, it's got it's got WhisperSync and it's got like a dictionary and you can look up highlighted stuff on Wikipedia and, and that presumably over it's over Wikipedia's API and, and that sort of stuff. I I don't know. I mean that it's not how it works on the older one, so I'm not sure why they would change it, but the older one actually goes to Wikipedia. Uh, and you can like you can go to the bostonglobe.com on the old one so yeah no, this this you get like a little a little modal dialogue over top of what you're reading that has like the wikipedia entry oh i see it. i see so i think i think with the paperwhite they've really tried to to can sort of minimalize the interface and and clean it up and get it down to where it's it's just reading mhm yeah that makes and sense just trying trying to focus on on that so, yeah, which is exactly what I wanted. So, mm-hmm. cool. So, uh, what I was hoping to do is, I was hoping to say yes. <laughs> yeah, there's I, a web I browser that on for you, didn't I? <laughs> but that's okay because there are other Kindles that do, you know, e-readers that do have web browsers. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the regular Kindles have the the the, the browsers on them, even 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 not the Kindle Fires. I think just the regular Kindles. But I believe I believe the Paperwhite. They're specifically focused on making it just the best book reading application uh, device they can. Yeah, I could see that. Like when I'm, I, I find, and I think we've talked about this before, I've started to take all of my, all the links, not that I blog that much, but when I do, I take all the links out and I put them at the very end of the article because mm-hmm. it, it, I find like now that I'm, when I'm reading articles that have links throughout that every single one is like a little, little speed bump of should I click on that? Right. Should I click on that? Am I going to remember to click? Oh, I want to click on that, but I, I want to keep reading this first. To Am I going to remember to come back? Yeah. Right. So then I'll just open it in an under window. Or, mm-hmm. or, like, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, it's exhausting and it's distracting. And if you just, if it's just text, there's no decision to make. And at the end, it's like, uh, you know, related links. And uh, yeah. I, I've, I notice it. Once I noticed it, uh, it really stands out to me when I read an article that's one way or the other, um, and you know, like TechCrunch or something. It's they're hor- It's just like like polluted with links mm-hmm. everywhere, and they're interesting because I don't read TechCrunch that much. So when I get to TechCrunch, I'm like, you know, something pushes me in there, and I'm like, oh, 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 oh I didn't, oh, 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 and like by the end, you've retained absolutely nothing from the article except for the headline. <laughs> it's really and so anyway. Um, I, I could I could certainly imagine that the paperweight would be prevent you from prevent you from doing that, so you get a more yeah. book experience. Like you probably can't highlight stuff, uh, or can you? Yeah, you you can highlight things, and it still has like underlined sections that you can tap and bring up the footnote. And t- can you like take notes in it and stuff? Uh I don't know. Be interesting. So yeah, so and it's all those things. It's like that you I don't know. There's something about a regular book that uh, is very. It's easy to get engrossed in because you're not going to accidentally end up on the internet, <laughs> right? Or get a text about you know. Yeah, this this seems band-aids. to seems to to prevent accidental interneting. <laughs> nice warning. You're about to accidentally internet. Yeah. So. Um, all of the things that we're sort of randomly, seem, seemingly randomly talking about here uh, are, uh, and even including the fast active, because I've got a little note to add about that, but all of, the, all of these devices are, are probably less, probably or uh, almost certainly less powerful than devices that you, uh, dear listener, uh, 
possess, guessing that you're probably a web developer, probably in the US, and probably have an iPhone or an Android phone. And, you know, the, the Firefox phone, uh, an original Kindle, um, and, and even a, a website that uses uh, JavaScript, and this is what I'm thinking of fast active here, uh, external JavaScript, all of these things, like, they're not as quick. Uh, the screens are really hard to read in bright daylight, or some of the screens are hard to read in bright daylight. And, um, and even if you have, like, a really fast uh, device that has, um, that's visiting a website that has all the JavaScript uh, includes at the end of the body, which has become the way to do it, uh, mm-hmm. You know, you can end up on the web page. You could easily, very easily, end up on the web page for a couple of seconds with no JavaScript loaded. And what what's the page do? Is it just white? Are the links in the navigation all broken, uh, or you know, or, or what? So uh, I think particularly we'll talk about the contrast thing today, which is the ability yeah. to just physically see what's on the on the device. And I guess you put together, or you're working on a, a sort of high contrast CSS library. Yeah, yeah, I'm working on a little CS li- CSS library, and it's it's not going to have a lot of layout stuff in it. No, it's not like a bootstrap replacement or anything like that. It's not gonna not gonna have a no, no CSS grids here. No, no. And I have I actually have very good reasons for for that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, then the the purpose of it is to be um, just just uh, create highly highly visually accessible web pages. Mm. And so there's a, there's a few things that I'm a few things that I'm focusing on with it. Uh, contrast is is definitely a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I, I do want it I want it easily to to be easily themable, so you can easily change the colors. And and my plan is to provide a couple of default uh, good high contrast themes there. Cool. And um, so so yeah, um, contrast is is a big issue. Um, uh, also, font size and being able to being able to scale fonts and resize things without uh, without breaking your layout. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> how do you pull that off without having a lot of layout in the? That's why. That's why I don't have a, a lot of layout in there. Because I mean, if you have a grid system or something something like that, it's mm. just if if you're resizing text only, like if you have a browser that allows you to resize text only and not zoom the entire layout. Mm-hmm. Then, if you if you bump up more than I find a lot of cases, if you bump up more than one or two point sizes, then the whole layout just kind of you know it's like someone just like vomited a web page on your screen. Yeah, there's, just there's things overlapping and disappearing, yeah. and yeah, the nav wraps and covers up the content, and yeah, yeah. I mean, there are responsive grid systems out there, but it, to me, that's almost like an oxymoron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really feel like. I, I mean, of course, I think every page should have good contrast, and every page should be as accessible as, as possible. But I think if you're specifically making something, thump, some, yeah, something, <laughs> if you're specifically making something where the goal is okay, this is targeting a particular group of people who have difficulty seeing this, either because of their eyesight or the situation device they're using it in, whatever, mm-hmm. then I, I really feel like your goal should be to, you know, you want it to look nice, but you don't want your layout to be so complex that things like zooming in are going to break it. Sure. So. And yeah, and you've got a situation where, where, you know, it's like, even if you're, I, I guess the outdoors thing is, 
I mean, that's not a that's not a fringe. That's not an edge use case. Like if you're yeah. outdoors, you, it's not that unlikely that you're going to be out outside with a mobile phone, right? <laughs> you know, like how it's weird a is a mobile that? phone, <laughs> right? So you know, so even if somebody is not visually impaired, or if you're not specifically targeting people who are you know maybe senior citizens mm-hmm. or something, um, it's it's still relevant for sure. Yeah, yeah. So. I feel like the um, trend is there. There was for a long time. I think leading up until the last, until the last maybe year or two, it seems to have died down a little bit. But the sort of thin gray text on a white background seemed really, really popular for a while. Yeah, it did. It did, and it it made me want to want to. I don't know, kick people. Yeah, it's it just, just so annoying. Yeah, yeah, and um, oh, and another thing is people styling forms so you can barely see the inputs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a that's another thing I'm focusing on with this library is having um, really really good visually accessible form elements. Cool. Yeah, form and, elements um, are rough. Those 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 annoy me. They they annoy me so much. <laughs> mm. um, and and yeah, I mean it was a it was a trend a while ago, and I feel like people are starting to get away from it. Uh, I noticed a few months ago when they were doing all their redesigns, um, Google Apps they've added more contrast to different elements in Gmail. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, a lot better than it used to be. Um, bootstrap, bootstrap. Initially, the form elements used to be really bad. They seem to be better now, or that could just be a product of my cataract surgery. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think jQuery. But, uh, I've been looking at jQuery Mobile lately. And uh, the, the form elements are very finger-friendly, and I, I think they're, I would say that they're uh, noticeable, I guess is the word, mm-hmm. or like you, d- you can distinguish them, they're very prominent. Yeah. Um, what, not so much from a contrast standpoint as they are from, like, highlighting the active form field and also right. the, the fact that they're just big. Yeah. So, that's cool. Uh, Psych. Two side notes. Well, three. Okay, I've got a million side notes on form inputs. I guess I'll, I'll just throw okay. one in, which is that I saw a library um, yesterday called Flying Focus, <laughs> which is a Java self-contained, dependency-free JavaScript library that you can include in your page. If you want to give a flying focus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it... Uh, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's really great when you see it. It only really works on the, it's only reasonable on the desktop because it's for people who, like us, who like to stay on the keyboard and tab around. Mm-hmm. And if you have a, uh, a form and it, as you tab to elements, um, you know, that normally the, the, by default, the browser is going to put like a, an outline around the form field that you're in if you don't mess yeah. with it. Yeah. And what it does is as you tab from field A to field B, the outline animates from one to the next and sizes itself appropriately if they're different sizes. Oh, neat. Yeah, so you as you tab through the page, you see this very... It's great, actually. It's, it's like, why don't browsers do this? It's, yeah, should, it lets you, let you keep your place within the form a lot easier visually. Yeah, it's really a lot better. And, mm. uh, yeah, so it's it's just a, you know, it's just a, like, just like us. It's just this little thing this dude did on the side that... Uh, and it's only really desktop, so I don't really care about it. But, um, it's really cool, but I don't care. <laughs> it is pretty cool. I, I wouldn't be, yeah, well, I don't know how hard it would be to actually implement, but I could see browser vendors thinking about it because it, it is yeah. really, it's a lot better. 
Yeah, that's in, that's interesting. I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So I've had to I've had to design some pretty massive forms in my time. Mm. For for agencies that are now <laughs> shut down for the moment. <laughs> oh really? Yes. Ah, that's news. So uh, that's a little bit about uh, high contrast, and that's sort of access. I, the term accessibility is kind of like you know very strongly linked to. Area and WCAG yeah. and, and visual impairment and wheelchairs and yada, yada, yada. But as we've kind of pointed out already, there's plenty of people who you wouldn't fall into any of those categories that still are in situations where a high contrast can make a big difference or font size yeah. can make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Especially on mobile. Yes. So there's also this notion of availability, mm-hmm. which to me is what I, that's what I mean when I say accessibility is like that people should be able to access the content of the web. Right. And like more, more and more. So I think I, I, I've been kind of using the word availability because it's a little more literal, I guess, and it's not an overloaded term. But like the, the Firefox phone is a perfect example of like trying to make the web available to the next billion people. And if it means that they can, you know, and they want to do that, in order to do that, it encompasses the whole product top to bottom, you know, including and possibly most importantly, the price of the thing. Yeah. And so they made tons of design decisions um, uh, to support the mission, which is to, you know, make the phone available to to people who can't afford um, maybe an iOS device or maybe even an Android device, but they can get, you know, one of these Firefox OS phones probably close to free. I think unlocked, they're like, under a hundred bucks. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty great, and you know, yeah, the scroll friction is not as great. Sometimes you drop a few frames. Whatever, you know, you you, you can get on YouTube, you can get on Wikipedia, you can yeah. search the web. Okay, yeah. Earlier when I was talking about the price, that wasn't the Firefox phone I was thinking of. I was thinking of the Ubuntu phone. Oh, it was like yeah. six hundred and fifty dollars. Yes, or yes, yes. Yeah. That didn't get funded, so. Yeah. I'm not surprised they were asking for a ton of money. Yeah, like thirty million. Yeah, <laughs> but they got half of it, and it was like, you know, that's I don't know. They made a lot of headlines, which was probably their ultimate goal. Probably the Ubuntu Edge phone. Um, so, so, uh, so availability. So, a couple of things I sort of like did a bad job of waffling around earlier <laughs> um, is that. If you're, you know, like on the one, you know, you get, there's a lot of this, this sort of connection between the end user and the, your website is like, there's so many things in between that. It's crazy. It's crazy how much stuff is in between those two points. You know, you've got the hardware of the phone, you've got the carrier, you've got the, the gateway to the internet, you've got the stuff on your server. Your server probably connects to a database server. It's crazy how much stuff is going on there. And, and people do things, I think developers and designers do things that um, just kind of, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot or cater to just a very narrow market that makes it so that their content or services are not available to a bigger range of people than they probably think. So, you know, this next billion people, that's, there's only 2 billion people online now. And if in a couple of years there's another billion, but they're on these underpowered devices that, oh, sorry, we can't afford a iPhone 5S, 
that's probably not good for your organization. No, I mean, if if all you're doing is catering to the the more feature rich phones, then it doesn't matter that there's a billion more people online because none of them are going to be able to use your product or your site. <laughs> right. It's kind of, it's, I mean, it's, I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but it's kind of like you are doing flash development because yeah. your market is essentially not completely frozen, but it's, it's The growth is going to be a lot slower there. So, and not to mention the fact that that if you're building on the web, you're basically evil if you're writing stuff that <laughs> are only for the iPhone. You know, yeah. that's like okay, that was kind of an overstatement, but the but you get the idea. It's like that's not the that's not the philosophy of the web. No, that's that's that defeats the purpose. Right. So, so one of the things that people uh, there's a bunch of things that people do that make it tougher for um, these sort of underpowered devices to access your content and and in particular building sites that require javascript they do not work without javascript yeah because the you know if you have if you're including like sencha touch which is like you know all told it's like uh, i don't know last time i checked it was like three or four hundred k of javascript and all these you know if you all these widget libraries and all these uh, ui images that you could just as easily do with color blocking or, you know, all of this stuff, like every, every little fancy thing that you put into your site. Like, I love that stuff, but it, it has to be, you got to think about like, well, what am I, what's the trade-off here? Cause there's always a trade-off. <laughs> and, uh, so I heard this absolutely must, must listen podcast of, yeah, I'm not going to get, I'm going to get his name wrong, but it's like Ilya Gregoric, uh, <laughs> from, from Google, who's like the performance not not like Steve Stewart's performance guru, but he's like a, a programmer who um, is working on Chrome and Chrome OS, I think, to make the... And he works with the internal Google web teams to make stuff faster. And he had a bunch of... He had, did a great podcast we'll link to in the show notes about, um, first of all, that you need to get your response time. The goal response time is under a second. Yeah. For any page to load, and if it's more than a second, it starts to you start to get that that what was I doing? Maybe I'll check my email while this page loads, and then you lost them. And and he was like, and pretty much he he goes into great detail and is super interesting. But I'll just summarize by saying you basically lose a half a second for every page just on network latency for the cell network. So, like right off the bat, you've got 500 milliseconds to get your page on this on the screen. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. And so he goes, he's like, if you do a redirect, you're done. You know, there's yeah. no way you're going to hit the one second mark. No way. And, and he goes, he, and then he goes into a whole bunch of um, really cool tips about how to structure your page in ways that previously were advised against hmm. that, for example, um, I'll just give you one example because people should go listen to it. But uh, the one example was that you should inline the CSS, you know, in the head of your, of your document, you should inline the CSS for the critical rendering path of the page. So, so there's this trade-off when you, when you include, usually when you do a website, you've, let's just say you're really good and you can concatenate your CSS into one, and you've just got one CSS file that you include. And you don't want to, obviously you don't want to inline it throughout the page, but, you know, you know, I suppose you could paste it into the top, into a style tag in the top of your, the head of your document, then people, but then people would say, well, you know, then it's not going to 
be cached. Uh, each each page load, it has yeah. to load it. And that is true. Um, so the, the sort of flip side of that, though, is that there's probably a ton of CSS in your CSS document that doesn't apply to the page that you're on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so and I never even thought about that, really. But if you look in the... You can go into uh, Google DevTools, the Chrome DevTools. Mm-hmm. And it shows... Yeah, there's strike a, through the rules that aren't being used. Yeah, there's an well, there's there's that, and there's also a tab called audit. Mm-hmm. And if you um, refresh the page with the audit tab open, it'll tell you like seventy five percent of the CSS in this file is not being used by this page, and you know, and it'll have it for every CSS file in there. And on some sites that have multiple includes, it's not uncommon to see like entire CSS documents that aren't used at all. Yeah, a one hundred percent of this of this, you know, 500k page is not used. Yeah. I think, you know, but but most people they have some kind of some kind of layout template that everything is rendered into so they put all the CSS in it and Yeah. 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 And, I mean it's and, and like uh, all of the tools that are coming out now like automatically concatenate all that stuff for you. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, wow, that that's really in- like why, why should I be putting yeah. files that only apply to this specific page or only apply to pages with tables on them? Why should that be in there? So anyway, his point is that um, uh, what you want to do is put enough CSS in the in the head of your document so that the page can render, and then the other included stuff. That's fine. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. uh, it's not like he says. You know what? I'm not sure if he recommend. I don't know if he recommends loading it like at the end of the body with with the script tag so it's non-blocking. I can't remember what he said actually, so I'll have to go back and listen to it as well. But uh so that's so that's really interesting. And then he also said that they're working on a on a an Apache and an Nginx mods that actually do this to your page on the fly. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so you can so it it pre-renders the page like in a shadow DOM type of way or PhantomJS mm-hmm. on the server it calculates what styles need to be injected into the head and it just does it. It just does it. Nice. Yeah. And that, I'm like, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. So I don't know if I like that, but it would be a lot easier, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, so the, uh, so the point of that, I guess, is to say that uh, is to just reinforce the um, issue of not being able for people to just even reach your page or load your page in a reasonable amount of time. So, like, if it takes four seconds or five seconds or you know, even ten seconds on an iPhone on on Wi-Fi to load your page, how long is it going to take? Uh, you know, people that are on, you know, the original Kindle. How many people are? How long is it going to take people who are on? Um, a Firefox OS phone, if you care about that, you probably don't, but you should. And, you know, like, and what about, you know, if, even if I'm on my laptop tethered over 3G, which is an extremely common occurrence, and yeah. I go to a desktop site that's like, you know, 10 meg, <laughs> and it, and the page doesn't, oh, well, this was the point. The point is, if the the page is loading JavaScript at the end, and it's not usable until that happens, I'm staring at a white screen for 10 seconds. Right. Whereas somebody like Facebook, you you can it's really noticeable when you go to their site, it instantly splashes some critical UI elements onto the screen, so that you could mm-hmm. actually start clicking around, 
Uh, and then like three seconds later, it loads in the sort of ancillary stuff. So kind of progressive enhancement of, or lazy loading of content, basically. Yeah. yeah it'll start loading, loading the content in after, after the fact. Right. So, I mean, all this stuff is pretty transient right now, I suppose, but I think that it's, I don't think it's any harder to develop in a way that is, um, you know, responsive, not that we're talking about that right now, but uh, that's responsive and is a progressive enhancement style approach. It's it's not harder. It's just a question of starting to shift your thinking and and programming for the most constrained devices that you can imagine someone using uh, and making a good experience there and then just making it nicer conditionally for people who have uh, either faster connection or a more powerful phone or a better browser or what have you. Yeah, and I've I've found that when I do it, when I do things that way, I actually I not only do I I like the result a lot, I I actually really really enjoy the development process itself a lot more because it just it feels a lot cleaner and it's easier to it kind of kind of breaks your work up into into more manageable chunks too. Yeah, doesn't it? It gives you this like sort of this feeling of that you're adding small layers. Mm-hmm. Very like each layer individually is pretty easy. It's like do some typography, do some color, maybe do some line height type stuff. Like basically the colors and typography I feel like are, are like one phase. Right. And then you start messing around with like layout. layout. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I feel the same way. And yeah, so it just it feels like you're just very logically stepping through the process. So like I, I, I prefer developing that way. Yes. It, it's funny because when you, I think back to earlier when I was designing and, and I was without knowing it designing basically for the, the desktop and like sort of right around, you know, when I was switching from table based layouts to CSS, it was very, it was almost like I started in the top left hand corner of the screen and worked my down to the bo- way down to the bottom right. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of, which is really brittle now we realize instead of, um, of, of doing a sort of grand gesture on a very particular thing that's, you know, site-wide color or site-wide uh, text treatment or font or whatever. I don't know. That's interesting, though. Yeah. All right, people. So, so do this. Be accessible. Be available. Progressively enhance. And, and it makes your life easier. It does. It makes your life easier, and and it, it makes the process more enjoyable and the end result more usable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, have so, we got anything else? Uh, I don't know. Are you going to do Rails Rumble with me this year? Isn't it in a couple of weeks? It's like October 19th and 20th. Oh, right. That's right. I said, oh, well, I might be. I'll have a baby, so yeah. it might be the perfect time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because I'm going to be up all night anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to, I have to think about it. We'll have to talk about yeah, it offline. Reg- regist- registration starts on the 7th. So. Yeah, cool. Do you, you already have an idea, right? You're going to... I do, yes. I'm going to do, do Moodly 2.0. It's going to be a complete rewrite of a slightly different approach. Interesting. I'd like to. I just want to keep expectations realistic. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're having a baby. Exactly. Put her to work. Yeah, she can be about user testing. Do you like this? Yeah. Well, right, mm, she I guess not. She doesn't like it. 
Everybody's a critic. Yeah. Stop being a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Being such a baby. (laughs) All right. So that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. We hope you join us again next week. And I hope I join us again next week for the (laughs) Mitch Podcast. Bye. Bye.